Welcome to a special edition of the BioCentury This Week podcast. Today we are coming to you from the BioCentury Bay Helix East-West Biopharma Summit in Redwood City in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Cranmer, an executive editor at BioCentury. We've had two days of great panels exploring the challenges and opportunities of cross-border collaboration and globalization to deliver biopharma innovation. Several of today's panels turn to the capital markets, and a theme that has come up time and again at the conference is how do you build teams, attract investors, and prioritize your pipelines to create a company that's built for the long haul. No small task given the biotech winter that we are now in. Topics that came up in Tuesday's Scene Setter panel, and again on Wednesday in the Capital Markets Showcased, chaired by Blackstone's Karen Reddy, focused on these topics. Let me introduce our guests. We have Hank Use, General Manager of Agio Capital and Business Solutions, a longtime supporter of the BioCentury Bay Helix Conferences. He's been instrumental in bringing some really interesting Belgian presenting companies to this year's event and prior events that we've held in Shanghai over the past decade. And Charlene Liao, president and CEO of Immune Onc Therapeutics. She's a veteran of Genentech. Her new company was born just down the 101 from us in Palo Alto. And it's a Bay Area Biotech that just won the Bay Helix Award for R&D Achievement. And of course, we have my old pal, Josh Berlin, head of BD here at BioCentury and one of the main organizers of the East-West Summit. First off, Charlene, congratulations on your company winning the Bay Helix Award for R&D Achievement. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Josh, for hosting the BioCentury Bay Helix East-West Biopharma Summit. It is a tremendous honor to win the Bay Helix Award for R&D Achievement of the Year. It's really a delight to join your podcast. Excellent. And we're delighted to have you and Hank with us today. Charlene, you're a first-time CEO and would love to hear a bit about your experience running Immune Onc and how you are thinking about your priorities in the current environment? Yeah, Immune Therapeutics is a private clinical stage immunotherapy company founded on revolutionary myeloid checkpoint research. We have two therapeutic antibodies. Both are first in class, targeting two novel myeloid checkpoint targets. We started the company in 2016 in Palo Alto and has always been headquartered in Palo Alto here. The company is revolutionizing the immunotherapy by going beyond the T cells. As a first-time CEO, what I am blessed is a tremendously strong and diverse team of people with drug development expertise and people with passion for patients, passion for innovation. I am happy to see, especially in the last two to three years, we have advanced our molecules to clinic 
IO-108 is a molecule targeting the LIRB2 target, and it is for solid tumor. We have successfully completed the dose escalation in the United States, and all of our clinical data so far from both programs are generated in the U.S. back to IO-108. It has completed the dose escalation both as a monotherapy as well as in combination with an anti-PD-1. And we have nominated the recommended phase two dose and have advanced this program to the expansion cohorts. For the other program, IO-202, the target is LIRB4. We started the trial in the U.S. at the peak of COVID pandemic, initially for leukemias including acute myeloid leukemia and chronic monocytic leukemia. And since this year, we have also advanced IO-202 to solid tumors, uh, either as a monotherapy or as uh, in combination with an anti-PD-1. So we have been very efficient, both as a company in terms of as a small team able to execute as well as in terms of capital efficiency. Our trials are well designed to start with a very good dose that we can articulate, a good starting dose, and being able to complete dose escalation quickly. Excellent. Well, I'd like to bring in Hank now. Hank, one theme that's come up is for the China biotech ecosystem is that for the first time in its history, it's experiencing a biotech winter. Based on your years long experience in the sector, uh, what advice do you have for the key players in the China ecosystem? Uh, thank you, uh, Jeff, and, uh, and good to see you, Josh. I would say two things that come to mind immediately. First of all, at the moment, as a biotech company that you are confronted with more difficult financial situations, then the tendency at that point in time is to, to go wider, to go faster, to go whatever. I've learned over the years that in moments like that, it is probably very smart to reflect a little bit about your existing portfolio. And a lot of the China biotech companies have a very impressive portfolio that they have developed over the, over the last years. And to go in there and to be very, very critical about which programs are still viable in the today's situation and maybe which programs would be better to, uh, uh, to terminate or to stop activities on. So really doing a very, very active portfolio management and making sure that you focus on those programs that have the biggest promise, both from a scientific point of view, as well as from a market deployment point of view. And, and this is something that I went through myself a number of times at the moment that you are in difficult situations like that, then at that point in time, it's absolutely critical to focus rather than to further expand and to, and to try to find other ways to, uh, to bring in money. And then I think for the investment community and a lot of the excellent global investors and local investors in, in China, what we see happening at this point in time is that there is more and more a realization and more and more an understanding that it's extremely critical at the moment that you build new biotech companies, that you do that on a very strongly founded science-based technology platforms. And I think it's 
very important that we identify ways to further identify these technology platforms to work together. And this is a perfect opportunity for, for cross-border collaborations to identify strong platform companies in the US or in Europe and set up collaborations with potentially with NUCOs in, uh, in China. The only consequence that that may have and that may have to be considered here is currently most of the China-based funds have a time window of return on investment of five plus two years. If, of course, you make a switch a bit earlier technology platforms with some proof of concept already, then at that point in time, you may revisit these time windows for return on investment. And, uh, and I think over time, a number of the China-based investors will probably also start to shift more in the direction of what is customary in, in Europe or in, uh, in the United States, which is 10 plus two years. But that has, that has to do with the nature of, of the business that we're in and also with the fact that uh, it's critical that you have those timelines in order to develop a company, strong platforms as a foundation, as I mean. Yeah, you know, Hank, one, one other um, comment that was made a couple of times on stage this week at, at the East-West Summit is, is looking at it from the other, other direction, right? From a Western biotech perspective, and there was some talk about one way to um, potentially extend your runway is to look to outlicense, in particular, uh, given the theme of the conference, outlicense uh, Asia or greater China rights. So, you know, with your seat in Belgium and, and, and you know, really good perspective on, on European biotech, you know, do you see European biotechs st- still looking aggressively for partners in, um, in China and Asia to outlicense to? Well, we, we have a number of companies indeed that are looking at uh, in-licensing opportunities from a European perspective. We have three or four com- companies that have contacted us. I mean, it's important for the China-based companies to understand at the moment that they enter into such a dialogue and into such a, uh, that at that point in time, it's going to be critical also to bring to the table first-in-class or best-in-class assets. And this is a little bit why I'm saying first do your homework of looking at your pipeline, readjusting maybe some priorities. And then those that are surviving that process, those are the prime ones to then start a dialogue with European companies on that. And I'm pretty sure that there, that there is an increasing interest in doing that. I mean, I, I remember active conversations with two biotech companies and one biotech investor in Europe that are very interested in looking into this. Charlie, maybe I'll ask a a quick question uh, to you if I could as well. Another thing we've heard this week, obviously a lot of talk about the the bear market, rightfully so. uh, And, you know, uh, a lot of CEOs, I know know you're a first-time CEO, but you're not also not a new CEO, right? You've been at uh, uh, Munich uh, since, uh, what, 2016, I think, right, since you, you founded it. So you have quite a bit of experience as a first-time CEO. At, at the same time, certainly I would imagine the first time you've been a CEO in a, in a market like this, and, and there are quite a few of your peers, I think, in the same boat, you know, really great, smart CEOs, but at the same time haven't had to be the leader in a market like this. So yeah, I think it'd just be interesting to hear your perspective on this, you know, this has to be much, much different environment than, than when you started and how you're sort of prioritizing both your, your cash as well as, um, you know, your, your team as well. Yeah, that's very good question. So I, 
I think we uh, are an innovative biotech company and uh, we are very much product focused. So I have to come back uh, to the science behind uh, the genesis of our company. Uh, when I decided to start the company back in 2016, uh, immuno-oncology was very hot. And uh, even at that time, I decided that we needed to look beyond the T cells, look beyond the T cell checkpoint inhibitors such as anti-PD-1, anti-PD-L1, and anti-CTOA4. So based on that conviction and uh, insights, we decided to focus on a family of novel myeloid checkpoint targets. The reason is for cancer treatment for more than 100 years, people have been focused on the cancer cells alone. People tried radiation, surgery, chemo, really to eradicate cancers. And even as recent uh, as uh, the targeted therapy, it is still very much focused on the driver mutations of cancer cells alone. Not until about 10 years ago, did the cancer immunotherapy brought T cells into focus. And uh, T cell is seen as an effective weapon to kill cancer cells. But we then realized that patients develop resistance to T cell checkpoint inhibitors. And we also know myeloid cells are the most abundant immune cell infiltrate in solid tumor cancers. So we decided to pursue novel myeloid checkpoint inhibitors. Six years later, it is really to our great delight and satisfaction that both of our molecules, IO-108 and IO-202, are shown to be active. They are safe and well-tolerated. And uh, we have a broadening set of clinical data warranting accelerated development. So, so I have to acknowledge the positive side because uh, with first-in-class targets and the therapeutics, many things can go wrong. And uh, when you get the negative results, you would not know whether your pathway is relevant for your indications. You would not know whether you have chosen the best molecule to target the pathway, even if the pathway is relevant. And uh, finally, if you don't have the right patient, even with the most relevant pathway and the base molecule, you would not get positive results. So it is really very rewarding when we see the positive data for both of our molecules, when we hear the investigator convey the patient's story to us, like a wife of a patient telling us that their husband who has late stage cancer is now doing dishes at home. We really feel we have significantly de-risked our pipeline. And now we are at this stage, yes, it's a bear market. The expectation of investors are increasing. Before, um, with cancer immunotherapy, you see huge transactions of even preclinical assets. Now, you are expected to be a clinical stage company. And not only are you expected to have first patient in, you are expected to have 
phase one trial data. And now even with phase one trial data, people are asking, do you have monotherapy activity? And even with monotherapy activity, they are asking, do you have more cases, right? So we definitely feel the pinch. And uh, I, as the CEO, feel tremendous pressure. But we also see the opportunity. I think when this science is working out, if the only thing that we are missing is capital, it is the perfect time for investors to work together with innovative companies, with entrepreneurs, with experienced drug developers and our team to advance the pipeline. I mean, if I have to say, you know, we are facing prioritization, I like to get back to Hank's point. I think he made a wonderful point about prioritization. Even though immunotherapy, once it is working, it should be working in multiple tumor types because we are targeting the immune system. We are not targeting specific tumors. But as a small company, we have to prioritize. We are able to advance small niche indications with significant unmet medical needs. And we can have accelerated the development path and accelerated pathway. In fact, one of our assets, IO202, has received FDA orphan drug designation as well as fast track designation in acute myeloid leukemia. And then we are also placed with seasoned drug developers on our board, including two recent additions, Austin Gurney and Barbara Klenke. And they are advising us is huge indications will always be there, right? The large market will always be there. No one can take it away from you. So I, I think that is also confirming our prioritization that with limited resources, we should really focus, focus on what we do best, focus on fast proof of concept, fast to approval, and also at the same time, explore collaboration opportunities because with a huge market and the large tumor types, we also need many more sites and many more resources that we hope can learn the support through partnership with large farmers. And to that extent, I'm actually very happy to share that we have recently announced our clinical trial collaborations with Regeneron and with Beijing. Uh, respectively, for their anti-PD-1 in the U.S. combination trial or in the China combination trial with our innovative first-in-class myeloid checkpoint inhibitors. Thank you so much, Charlene. A uh, lot of lessons there for other small biotechs out there. I'd like to just throw a final question to Hank. Real quick, Hank, when do you see this winter turning to spring? Now you're asking me to uh, be a magician and uh, and bring crystal a, ball time, crystal ball uh, on the table. The trouble is that the reason why we are at this winter is so multifaceted, and there is different reasons in different areas of the world that are influencing this. I mean, of course, in Europe we're very much affected by everything that is going on in in Ukraine at this point in time, with energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In the US, there is somewhat different reasons. In China, there's again different reasons. And this is the complexity that we're confronted with. So I, I think we will probably see also, depending on each of these regions and depending on the factors, that regions may be coming out of this at different time points. But at the end of the day, 
I'm absolutely convinced that we will get out of this, that in, in one to two years from now, we will be able hopefully to start to move back to normal. And then for me, back to normal is even work together more closely than before between different uh, areas of the world, because that's the only way that we can make a better world uh, out of this. Excellent. Love the optimism. Well, our next chance uh, after this conference to get together will hopefully be at our spring conference. Josh, tell us a little bit about what's in store at Bioequity Europe. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. So we're, um, you know, been really, really thrilled with the East-West Summit this week. Been great seeing people in person, a lot of energy, and we hope to continue that energy and this cross-border dialogue at our 23rd Bioequity Europe. That'll be in Dublin, Ireland for the first time next year. It's May 15 to 16, 2023. Um, it's bioequityeurope.com is the website. We do have early bird registration open and we are recruiting biotechs now to uh, present. This past year, we had uh, 150 biotechs uh, present back in May in, in Milan, Italy. It was uh, a completely sold out event for only the second time in, in 22 years. So we're really looking forward to, uh, to welcoming everyone to, to Dublin and, and uh, very much would like to um, get um, uh, US, uh, European and, uh, and Asian companies and investors uh, together for bioequity. We like to call it our, our CEO and, and, and VC meeting uh, for Europe, but also for, for globally. And Hank, uh, I, I know has been a big part of bioequity through the years and, and Charlene, we'd love to have you uh, out in uh, in Dublin in May, uh, as well as all the other folks who attended the uh, the East West Summit this week. So again, it's bioequityeurope.com. Excellent. Thanks for that, Josh and Charlene. Hank, I know you have a lot of meetings at this uh, summit, so I just wanted to thank you for taking a little bit of time to uh, share your thoughts with us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks for watching. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcasts. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.